Welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending August 6th, 2022. This week, The Grim Reaper comes for HBO Max. I'm Kim Hollis, wishing that we had something to talk about this week. (laughs) Also, Tim Brighty, writer, gamer, and inventor of post-its. I may actually be headed to a high school reunion in the near future. So, you know, got to get, got to get my story straight. Also, David Mumpower, published author and media analyst who will spend the entire podcast trying not to say, I told you so. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> and the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burial, just waiting to be canceled by Warner Brothers Discovery. Well, we had a good run. <laughs> In our deep dive this week, what the hell happened? I'm not going to say it. Don't make me say it. (laughs) The simple truth is that it's not as apocalyptic as we feared, but the news is still pretty bad. Well, wait a minute. We're only on day one of the apocalypse. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So the week started pretty poorly when it was revealed that the straight to HBO Max original movie Batgirl had been canceled by Warner Brothers Discovery, despite already having wrapped filming. So, so that alone was newsworthy and probably would have been the lead story. But that was just Tuesday. And then the floodgates opened and things just got all sorts of progressively worse from there. We already used the title Streampocalypse now, but that this is pretty close to it. <laughs> the people involved with Batgirl were actually at one of the director's wedding at the time that this announcement came out. So on top of everything else, this was just tasteless personal behavior. And let's not forget, well, not necessarily as significant, but the Scoob sequel, Scoob Holiday Haunted, was also canned. So that's one $90 million movie, Batgirl, and another movie costing 40 to $50 million forever locked away, or at least until there's a change in regime at Warner Brothers Discovery and Zack Snyder gets to recut the films. Yeah, let me clarify what happened there. WBD had a limited window for tax write-offs because they just performed this massive spinoff merger. So there's a tax law that says that if they got rid of titles by mid-August, they can actually count as full tax write-offs. Batgirl cost $75 million to produce, and then they had another $15 million that came from COVID-related costs, which means another 20% got tacked on. They had effectively seven titles they could throw in a ditch in exchange for a check for a few hundred million dollars. That's That's not how you should find $3 billion like they've been promising. That's how you cheat the system when you're light years beyond desperate. Yeah, this is, I would venture to say, unprecedented. It's not like movies that have been filmed get canceled all that often. The most significant one I can think of right now is this weird Jerry Lewis movie from like the 60s or 70s where he plays a clown in a Holocaust concentration camp that no one's ever going to... Yeah, no, it's terrible. No one's ever going to see it. This just doesn't happen. Forever now, we're going to know that there was a movie with Batgirl where, let's not forget, Michael Keaton gets to come back and play the Tim Burton Batman character again. And this movie now is just forever locked away. The closest analogy we really could come up with, there was a film called The Sin Eater that nobody has ever thought about. There was also a film called The 13th Warrior. These two titles sat on the shelf for a long time. 13th Warrior was like two years. Senator basically, I mean, presidencies came and went at the time that Senator seemed to be on the shelf, but they 
both eventually got wide theatrical releases because that's what the contracts demand. What we're seeing with Batgirl is when you have something promised to be released straight to a streaming service, you don't have that criteria, which means this sort of behavior can happen. We've just never seen it before and it has freaked people out in Hollywood. So some quick background here and for our new listeners or those who haven't been following, we have to answer the question of why Warner Brothers Discovery is making these cuts. And it all has to do with the merger of the two companies, Warner Brothers and Discovery which really was a takeover of Warner Brothers by Discovery. And this was like a little guppy trying to swallow a whale. For that takeover to be possible, Discovery had to borrow a lot of money. The company is now carrying a lot of debt. And their CEO, David the Butcher Zaslov, has committed to $3 billion in savings in its first year. Yeah, and when we talk about debt, we're talking about a comical amount. I was looking at this yesterday. The market cap of the company when I was looking yesterday was 52 billion. They have 53 billion in debt. So they owe more money than the company is worth. I mean, if you're in credit card debt like that, you should just pay to get a new alias and disappear off the grid for a while. (laughs) We've said this all along since the merger happened that the minor cuts that Warner Brothers Discovery had made so far wasn't going to bring them anywhere near those $3 billion in cost savings. We knew the big cuts were coming. We didn't want there to be big cuts, but we knew they were coming. And while David won't say, I told you so, I told you so. What's more irksome is that up until now, up until this week, the Hollywood trades had been painting this as Warner Brothers Discovery bringing some fiscal restraint and order to the chaos incurred by previous Warner Media chief executive Jason Kylar. This is when, during the pandemic, Jason Kylar said, oh, all our theatrical movies are going day and date to streaming and all the Hollywood talent got upset and so they had to pay them off to make them everybody happy. Zaslov was being painted as a hero, a friend to the talents. No more of this day and date nonsense. We're going to put movies out theatrically. At this point, I think Hollywood would welcome the return of Jason Kylar, and I bet they wish they never saw David Zaslov in Hollywood. The hilarious part of all of this is that Zaslov did an earnings call the other day, and during that earnings call, he basically said that the model of releasing titles exclusively on streaming services wouldn't work. Roll, do we know of any streaming services that create content exclusively for them that are profitable entities? Um, most of the other streaming services. Uh, Wait a minute. But but Zaslod said, folks, this is why your grandfather can't work his smartphone right here. When the game has passed you by, you shouldn't be in charge of a technology company. It warrants an explanation. What it boils down to is when a movie that, like Batgirl, costs 75 to $90 million to produce, why is it going to streaming instead of theaters? Wouldn't you make more money if you put it in theaters first and then put it on streaming later? And the fact of the matter is that the companies that are profitable play a long game. You can get... $7.99, $8.99, $12.99 per theater goer when they go to the movies. And most theater goers, unfortunately, only go to the movies two or three times a year. That is the statistical fact of the matter. But if you can get them to subscribe to your service, your streaming service for $6.99, $7.99, $12.99 a month, you are getting these people to pay you that much money every month for 12 months. So the way you appeal to these subscribers is to say, look at this exclusive content that will not go to theaters. 
subscribe and every month you're going to get a new movie that no one else gets to see in theaters. That is the way you convert someone that is giving you that much money three times a year into someone that is giving you that much money four times as often a year. So this is me still not saying I told you so. What we're also fearing right now is what almost happened and still might. And that's the news that came out in the following hours and days after Batgirl. And that news was we'd only seen the tip of the iceberg. Reports indicated the company was looking to scrap. And I mean, totally decimate all HBO Max originals. And that is a wide swath of stuff. For Kim and I, it feels like an attack because we're in love with Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn would go. They have basically said they are getting rid of all children's and any form really of animated entertainment. I don't think that'll prove correct because I think DC is an exception, but that's what we're talking about, just chopping it off. We have seen several programs targeted teens right now. There's currently Pretty Little Liars spinoff airing. That would go. Everything that you're seeing on HBO Max, but not HBO, would no longer be produced. And oddly, a bunch of movies that have been produced and released exclusively on HBO Max. Probably the most famous ones being Lockdown and The Witches. That's Anne Hathaway in both of those, by the way, so she probably feels attacked. And also a Seth Rogen movie called American Pickle and a LeBron James reboot of House Party were all either on the service or about to debut on the service. They will not be on HBO Max from this point forward because of the tax write-offs. So by Thursday morning, it was all out panic for HBO Max fans and the internet was rife with memes about all the impending cuts and how Warner Brothers Discovery was cutting off their nose despite their face and I also want to throw in the fact that all they offered us in return was and this isn't a joke the 90 day fiance universe that is an actual thing they announced (laughs) during their earnings call look out MCU Yeah, just to clarify, the the six HBO Max originals removed were the three we just talked about, Lockdown, The Witches, and American Pickle, but also Superintelligence, that was a Melissa McCarthy movie, Charm City Kings, and Moonshot, which notably only came out three months ago. You may well be saying, well, nothing of value was lost, but what this potentially does is get Warner Brothers Discovery out of payment obligations for these movies. You don't remove content from your streaming service, especially without any notice, unless there's a reason for it, and that most likely reason is money. Yeah, it's just so weird that these movies are just gone, 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 gone. And that is, as Tim says, it has to be because they don't feel like it's worth their while to be paying out any kind of residuals on this. Now, of course, if you look at this from like the Disney Plus perspective, Disney Plus does not pay residuals because they pay you a lump sum of money up front. They do not do the residual game anymore. Evidently, HBO Max didn't do that with these projects. And it's not like we didn't know. It's not like we didn't see this. Kim and I, who do our what's new in streaming segments, we saw that House Party is supposed to be coming out this week and it's not on any release charts. Whoops. <laughs> yeah, we it, it was obvious that these weird, unusual things were happening. And Hollywood was still like, oh, David Zaslov's going to save HBO Max. David Zaslov's going to save Warner Brothers Discovery. And now he's been revealed for what he is. He doesn't necessarily understand the industry. He certainly doesn't understand streaming. And when we're talking about how Jason Kylar had to make good because he sent all these movies day and date to theaters and streaming on the same day. Well, think about actors like Melissa McCarthy, like Seth Rogen, like Anne Hathaway. These are talented actors with considerable sway in the industry who have just been told these projects that you made, 
Heck, Michael Keaton playing Batman. Imagine what it must have taken to convince him to, hey, you want to come back and play like an older version of the Batman you played all those years ago? When Remember when you said you didn't want to do Batman anymore? And so we had to hire Val Kilmer. You want to come back and play Batman again? And he was like, yeah, okay. And now it's like, ah, yeah, that movie we made where you got to play Batman again. Yeah, no one's ever going to see that. And there's a lot going on here that we're trying to distill into a short podcast. We've had hours of conversations about this. And so we just want to make sure we're hitting a few highlights, one of which is the fact that, oh, by the way, several of the projects they have canceled actually include Latina, African-American, LGBTQ, all kinds of people who normally don't star in films that had built up audiences that were excited to finally see themselves represented on screen. Those projects have now just been banished to the ether, which by the way is something we had previously mentioned, but it didn't make the podcast about an animated show called Final Space. Uh, It came out last month that Final Space had disappeared from HBO Max. That was actually the early warning signal for this. We just didn't recognize the motivation at the time. And that was the argument I made at that point that you never heard, which was in this day and age, stuff should never disappear from a streaming service unless it's going to a different streaming service. If something exists, it should be available to consume online, period. That is not the strategy Zaslav has adopted. And on top of everything else, Zaslav's hires thus far have been almost exclusively in the C-suite old white men. David Zaslav is running the playbook from 1985, almost maybe a Mad Men playbook. What is happening here shows a stunning lack of understanding of modern business to the fact that he is fully committed to the theatrical window. You know why? Because he only sees dollar signs, not consumer behavior, not what creative talent wants to do. So he is thinking to himself, I'll just get a bunch of white people to star in the films that everybody likes. That's like romances and stuff. And they put up some splash screens. Kim, they were, we were laughing immediately, weren't they? At the actual data they were willing to present publicly. Yes, it was mortifying and Yes, it was trending on social media extensively and continues to as people just are laughing at this splash screen. It's outrageous. And again, just a perfect example of old white men taking data from other apparently old white men and running with it. Don't listen to Kim. She's apparently part of a genre dumb, which means this conversation is beyond her simple, feeble brain. Yeah, I only like reality. Pay, Pay no attention to me. I am so angry about this. They post a graphic and it shows that HBO Max is primarily Mel. Kim, what streaming service do you watch the most? Probably HBO Max, yeah. Meanwhile, Discovery, which nobody I know watches, but Discovery claims that it is female-centric and it uses lean back versus lean in. And these are terms that, frankly, I hadn't heard in the business industry in 10 or 15 years. These were terms for when the magazine, print industry, newspapers were starting to slow down and then eventually dwindle off. The terminology is for activity versus passivity. So the implication on this splash screen was men are active viewers, women are passive viewers. They actually put this on the thing. And all I'm thinking to myself is if you want to look outdated 
and completely incompetent. These are the things you post to show you have a handle on the industry. I didn't say I told you so, but I think it's clear from my voice. I'm angry. They are systematically destroying a fine product in HBO Max. Yeah, the funny part here is before all this happened, I definitely recall seeing things on social media, like Twitter or whatnot, saying, wow, HBO Max is the best service they have in terms of just quality of content. And they just threw it, almost all of it in the garbage in the span of a week. And it's just astounding what they're doing because they don't, they just don't get it. Roel, we talked about this behind the scenes, but go ahead and say, how did Wall Street react to Zaslav's comments? It could have been worse. We laid out what happened before the earnings call. This was Tuesday, Wednesday, leading up to the Warner Brothers Discovery earnings call. And by by Thursday morning, it was clear that people were not reacting well to the news that HBO Max was getting axed left and right, that shows were getting canceled, movies were disappearing from the streaming service. So by the time the earnings call came out, the news was considerably less bad than it appeared. There is one big takeaway from the earnings call, and that is a year from now, that is what they said, next summer, HBO Max and Discovery Plus will become one single streaming service. I would venture to say that's not really going to happen. They're deferring this by a year because of other reasons that we can get into. But the fact that Warner Brothers Discovery presented a plan, a fiscal plan, where they said they were going to make those $3 billion in cost recovery, that they were going to meet their revenue forecasts, Wall Street didn't like it. And not because of the numbers, but because of the way they came about hitting those numbers. Wall Street saw what was happening to HBO Max and they decided they are crippling their future for immediate revenue gain. And again, that goes back to why it is that you put original movies and original shows on a streaming service. It is to build up a subscriber base that over time will equal revenue. But when you're worried about how we are going to make enough money to meet our forecast next quarter, never mind two or three years from now, when we have a larger subscriber base, you're all about putting those movies in theaters and not worried about how to build up that subscriber base. I'd venture to say that next quarter, Warner Brothers Discovery will be showing fewer subscribers for their streaming service rather than more. And they're going to present it as this is not bad because we don't care about our streaming service as much as getting people to see our movies in theaters. And when they are doubling down on theatrical releases and on their cable channels, which are both dwindling in viewership, they're doubling down on the past. And when they are cutting their future they are essentially reducing themselves to an organization that has no future. They're going to double down by going ahead and picking up a bunch of magazines. And they've also got the trademarks for Edsel. They've got a good feeling it's making a comeback. They just feel that maybe these things have gotten a bad rap and that they're due for a break anytime now. This was... I'm trying so hard not to say I told you so, but this was an abject rejection of everything smart Jason Kyler did. And it was also proof that he believes that he is smarter than people running Disney, Paramount, and Netflix. That's the ego this man has because he is an entitled old white man who doesn't understand the difference between luck and skill. His career is luck, not skill. 
you need a visionary like Disney had with Bob Iger. And Bob Iger realized, look, we are going to take billions of dollars in hits over the next coming years as we reorganize on streaming. Because in the long term, where we're going to see most of our revenue is on streaming. And it's going to take us some time to get there. But when we get there, we are going to be a stronger company. And right now, never mind forsaking the history at Warner Media with Jason Kylar, David Zaslav looked at what someone like Bob Iger did and said, you know what, I'm going to do the opposite of what Bob Iger did. And you're not going to get very far betting against Bob Iger. That's the long and short of this. Bob Iger saw that in 2015 before any of this happened. David Zasloff in late 2022 still can't see the board. And that's the problem here. And quickly in our rapid fire, Paramount also had their quarterly earnings call this week. And unlike at Warner Brothers Discovery, the news was all good. Is that allowed? The companies paid streaming services, Paramount Plus, BET Plus, and Showtime have 62 million subscribers between them, while their free ad-supported platform Pluto TV has 68 million users. (laughs) This is how Amazon's The Boys and Disney Plus's Obi-Wan Kenobi did spectacularly well in the Nielsen's ratings, and nobody cared because everyone was talking about how Netflix's Stranger Things just crushed it. I bet Paramount was wishing they could have their earnings call next week. (laughs) You're right. That's really unfortunate for them. This is how you run a streaming service. This is how you run a studio. Paramount Plus has like, what, four Star Trek shows now? Maybe five, I guess. They're moving shows from CBS to Paramount Plus, Mm -hmm. like like SWAT and Evil. These are strong shows that were doing very well on broadcast television, and they are just jumping to their streaming service. They understand how the future is, and they understand where the money is coming from. The fact that they have both a subscriber-based streaming service with Paramount Plus and an ad-supported free service with Pluto TV, they are, I think, David, you said they're making money both ways. They're fine. Now, ads we understand. And and Warner Bros. Discovery said this during their earnings call. And I assume that Paramount has said it as well. We know that ad revenue is in decline, but Pluto TV is just doesn't cost that much to operate in the first place. They don't have that much original content anyway. A lot of it is just rehashed reruns of shows. There's like a Baywatch channel and probably a Knight Rider channel, but people watch that stuff and they watch the ads that come with it. It's money in the bank for them. They understand how this works and they're they're making it work for them. One, one big move for them recently, and we we talked about this is how Criminal Minds, the show that they produced, has left Netflix and is moving exclusively to Paramount Plus. They are bringing in additional subscribers month over month, quarter over quarter. They are running a streaming service the right way. I think the thing for Pluto TV and those shows you mentioned, they just have a lot of like comfort shows that people like to have on in the background. That's my feeling. And also maybe it's a good entry streamer for Boomer and people who are maybe just picking up streaming. It has a lot of the shows they might want to watch. People who lean back. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, people who lean lean back. You know, the amazing thing about what we're talking about here is my understanding is Star Trek shows were created directly for Paramount Plus. Is that correct? Damn right. Yep. Paramount Plus Originals. And they went out of their way to say that Halo, 
which is an abomination, is a worldwide global sensation that drove subscriptions. Lies. So, <laughs> Warner Brothers Discovery is saying that's impossible. Who's right and who's wrong here? It just goes back to the immediate revenue philosophy. If you can't count on that being monetized within the next quarter, it just doesn't matter to Warner Brothers Discovery. While Paramount plays this long game where they know that within three or four quarters, the fact that they have this permanent subscriber base, if you're a Star Trek fan and the moment Star Trek Discovery ends, you're now watching Star Trek Stranger Worlds. And when that one ends, now you're watching Star Trek Picard. You stick around for a full 12 months you have now paid them for a full 12 months of subscriptions, which is not something that necessarily, there is no one for one. You can't say Star Trek Discovery made me this much money because there is no exact correlation. Did this person subscribe to my streaming service just because of Star Trek Discovery? There's no real way to know that, but the more original content you put on your streaming service, the more subscribers you have, which means the more money you get. It's a system that works. Damn right. All right, Tim, before we talk about the ratings, do do we want to talk about the box office this week? Uh, we can mention a couple things. Uh, after last weekend, DC League of Super Pets, which I still refuse to believe is a real movie, won the weekend with $23 million. Uh, sure. Okay, why not? But I guess we have the last notable release for quite some time this weekend, and that would be Bullet Train. Brad Pitt on a train. Heck That's, yeah. Yeah. Starts out pretty well, actually. Does have a Friday of... Uh, 12.6 million, 4.6 that came on Thursday. Uh, so yeah, it's headed to about 30 million and I'm sure they'll they'll take that. It's been a really good summer for the box office. You know, you still have, even last weekend, Top Gun Maverick was in its 10th week of release was the number five movie. That sort of thing doesn't happen anymore. 650 million and counting. Minions of 320 million. Thor, Love and Thunder crossed 300 million last weekend. Even Jurassic World Dominion, which no, nobody apparently liked, still made $369 million. Again, I, I'm, I'm still nervous what happens from, from, from here, but this is one last hurrah, I think, with a decent weekend for for bullet train but we'll see we're about to enter the winter of our discontent at the box office aren't we yes that's what i that that's what i'm worried about i'm like okay sure we have all these movies that people want to see hollywood's been very smart about you know releasing generally good movies you know it was a big surprise when you know jurassic world dominion came out and here was a a big tentpole release that was actually kind of bad <laughs> so that they, they seem to be keeping things you know uh keeping the, the quality above, above average but uh it's not going to be great from from here but uh this is this is going to be one one last decent august weekend and uh and then we'll see but tim how many blockbusters does warner brothers have slated for the rest of this year um not a lot <laughs> but that's Zero. their future right that's yeah. where all their money's the coming is box, from the future is box office yes, not, box not, office. not hbo Movie max theater. yeah Go no not that. streaming no god no, no. What nobody has told Zaslav is that movies don't always reach expectations. He seems to think that if you release a big movie in theaters, you're guaranteed to get box office. So there's going to be a bit of a learning curve for here as he realizes Super Pets is probably an example of a decent performance. We're about to see examples of less than decent performances. And honestly, other than probably two or three surprises, I'm saying that till like November. So it's going to get grim. Do I have that right, um, that's the way I'm I'm definitely looking at it as well. Yeah. Okay, well, let's move on to the ratings then. 
Sure. We have the Nielsen streaming ratings for Monday, July 4th to Sunday, July 10th, 2022. Not as wild a week as last week, but there's still some things to talk about here. It also is important to remember it wasn't a holiday this time. Yes. Well, the, the Monday was, but you know, for, for, for my birthday, but after that, you know, it wasn't a holiday. I've said happy birthday like 17 times. When will it be enough? <laughs> <laughs> I, my, my birthday month just ended just last week. So, you know, was that, that that's fine. That's I'm satisfied until next year. <laughs> but the, the top show is, of course, Stranger Things, the first full week of availability for the final two episodes of the fourth season. Uh, checking in with another casual 4.8 billion minutes. Feed. <laughs> is that all? That's all terrible. Jeez. Jeez. Come on, HBO Max would have canceled that. Oh, ago. God. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not much really more to say about this other than. Wow. How many people are subscribed to Netflix just just for this show? I, right. I definitely expect whenever they have their next subscriber numbers or, or earnings call, I'll be like, yeah, uh, Stranger Things kicked ass for us. That's all. See you, see you next Mike time. Mike, drop by. Yeah. <laughs> see you next. <laughs> see you for season five <laughs> in a year or two. But actually, it was a very another big week for for streaming. Very big week. Yeah. Some solid numbers here. Uh, second, we saw this one last week. Here's the terminal list from Amazon. 1.5 billion minutes for eight episodes. That didn't go the way I expected. I thought with the bad word of mouth that the terminal list would be in decline this week. Yeah, I, I am surprised that it did take uh, a bit of a, a jump for its first full week. It did drop July 1st. So it just that last week we just saw the weekend and this is the, the full week. But it probably will fall apart from here considering it's actually yet to receive a renewal, which you think would have been a no-brainer based on these numbers. So maybe it's it's going to fall apart from here because you think Amazon would jump all over a hit like this. You know, there's more information now because this we're a month behind on these numbers. But yeah, I am actually a little surprised. And third is the Umbrella Academy, 1.2 billion minutes for its 30 episodes. Again, very solid. Again, not renewed yet. Yeah, that seems like that is surprising. But considering it was the third season, I, I and there's still clearly more of this story to, to come, I am a little surprised. But yeah. I do get that. It's, you know, three seasons and out at Netflix. But given the way every season of the Umbrella Academy has ended, I if they're going to cancel it, please give me one more season with some closure in it, because right now I have no idea what's happening. <laughs> we haven't even gotten to watch this season yet. Meanwhile, uh, again, saying this was a big week for streaming, here is The Boys, also from Amazon. Almost 1.1 billion minutes for its 24 episodes. It, the final episode of the third season did arrive on the 8th. So this is, this is the whole season. That's people definitely waiting for it all to be out to, to binge. Uh, and yeah, that's excellent. That is a lot of billion minute shows this week. Yeah, four shows cracked a billion. That's a number that normally wins the week. It's only good for fourth. Yeah, right. If yeah, if you're not Stranger Things, yeah, one one billion is usually why bother the top show, right? And then it's uh, it does drop from here, and it's a bunch of shows we've seen before. So we'll go from pretty quickly. Peaky Blinders jumps up up to fifth, three hundred seventy nine million minutes. Ozark again, still here, three hundred thirty five million minutes. Uh, we do have a returning show. Uh, we only saw this when the first episode came out, but here is Ms. Marvel from Disney Plus, two hundred ninety five million minutes for five episodes. There is one more to go that will arrive on the 13th. So we'll see the same pattern we've seen with all the Disney Plus shows. It jumps up a little as the season comes to an end and then it arrives and people finish out the show and then tend not to go back to it. Is this a good number? This just feels actually disappointing considering- I think uh, it's a very good number. 
I mean, considering the, the acclaim, it hasn't really reached the heights of some of the other Marvel shows. I think that due to the age demographic they're targeting, it is second screen central, which means mm, that... That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. Nilsson's going to have blind spots all over the place for it. There were all kinds of early metrics that some places that we like. Uh, I mean, Samba sent out a thing saying Ms. Marvel numbers were way down. That was just the blueprint example of when you do it through television only, you miss almost everything. And I think that's what we're seeing here. Yeah, I can see that. But this this does seem like the of the Marvel shows, one that has more second screen viewing rather than uh, on a television, which is all that Nielsen measures here. Yeah, and I should say, truth in advertising, I am a G. Willow Wilson super fan. She is the creator <laughs> of our beloved heir, as well as Ms. Marvel. So I probably am, I don't even know what the right word is, defensive, protective of this property. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind with my opinions. I am pretty biased here. Uh, the Upshaws in eighth, 289 million minutes for 18 episodes. The Lincoln Lawyer, from Net- also from Netflix, 279 million minutes. And Hulu's, Hulu's Only Murders in the Building, or if you're Nielsen, Only Murders in the Build, 256 million minutes. <laughs> it now has... I See, their episodes num- numbers are, are off. The third episode of the second season arrived on the fifth. So it's got 13 episodes. Nielsen's listing, listing 12, but it is weekly through you know late August. So I... I think we it did hang around towards the end of its season last year when when it we did, saw it yeah. on the list. So we may it may disappear till later on in in July as it adds more episodes. But I am always mm-hmm. happy to to see this show. Absolutely, yes. Um, movies is kind of depressing this week, but it is led by Sing Two. That's not why it's depressing. Eight hundred thirty nine million <laughs> minutes. <laughs> it's been here for a couple weeks now. Yeah, that that's. To be expected. Uh, second is we do have some new content this week. Second is Girl in the Picture from Netflix, 537 million minutes. This mm, is well, that's a, depressing. Yeah, this is a documentary. And I'm sure we mentioned it on what's new for that week, but it is very disturbing kind of story. Uh, a little uncomfortable subject matter, but that's a surprisingly big number for considering what, what this is. Uh, meanwhile, in third is also something else new, The Sea Beast. This is also from Netflix nice. for 430 million minutes. This is an uh, animated entry. Yeah, well-reviewed one at that. So mm, okay. I, we, we have not watched it yet, but I would like to. Who I, I thought I had a thing open. Who made this? It's a Netflix original there. This is them pivoting towards trying to create some Disney or at least DreamWorks animation caliber pictures. So Okay. So they, they made it before they gutted the Netflix animation department, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. And the director of the film actually was involved in Bolt and Big Hero 6. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, I, I yeah, he's had some good things on his resume. Okay, very very interesting. And yeah, the this this arrived on the eighth, so this is just a, a weekend number, and we actually may see it take a jump next week. Maybe it can topple thing too. Uh, the man from Toronto still here in four three hundred eighty six million minutes. Your usual Disney Plus content: Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness three hundred sixty two million minutes for fifth. Encanto in six two hundred eighty six million minutes. In seventh, Mean Girls two hundred forty five huh. million minutes. Yeah, this one Was showed up on. Uh, it was not. Okay. Uh, it, it actually came back to Netflix from wherever it was on July 1st. Mm-hmm. So it had the benefit of the full week of being something new and shiny on Netflix. So people watched it. I guess it's it's better than some other stuff. 
In eighth, The Dark Knight Rises. This one credited to HBO Max and Netflix, 243 million minutes. So we do have the return of HBO Max content to the ratings this week. I think they must it must have just been an oversight last week because it's because their their usual shows are back in the acquired list as well. They just forgot to yeah, yeah they, probably. Yeah, that intern got fired. Tim, everyone at HBO Max got fired. <laughs> no, I meant the I meant the Nielsen intern. Yes, we knew we were HBO Max got fired. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I assume this builds off of the viewership that uh, the Batman got on HBO Max, as we've seen in the past, of course, when some movie hits streaming on another service, people immediately flock to Netflix to catch, to, to search for it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then and they end up with The Dark Knight Rises and assuming, of course, that people <laughs> watch The Dark Knight Rises on HBO Max as well. Maybe after they watched The Batman, then those numbers got added to those. But of the 243 million minutes here, I suspect 240 million of those were probably on Netflix. Yeah, I just went to Netflix and searched for the Batman. Uh, and the first choice was Batman the Killing Joke, which appears to be an animated one. And, th- and then The Dark Knight Rises. So, okay. Mm-hmm. I get it. Both of uh, which they should have made HBO Max exclusives if they had any idea what they were doing. Yes. Still not saying I told you so. <laughs> the, third, the, the, the third choice, by the way, is Gotham. So that, uh, okay, it checks. All right. Yep. Uh, meanwhile, in ninth, something called Final Score from 2018. This is, is an action film starring Dave Bautista that did not receive a theatrical <laughs> release, but arrived on Netflix. And when I just went to Netflix to search for the Batman and then there was the little notification thing, new arrival, Final Score. Okay, there you go. <laughs> sure. Why the heck not? <laughs> oh, geez. Okay. And wrapping up uh, movies this week is something else that's depressing. Leave No Trace. This is actually from Hulu, 226 million minutes. It's a also a documentary about um, uh, the Boy Scouts and not yes. uh, it's not a happy tale. Don't finish that thought, please. I am not going to because, yeah, this this list depresses, depresses me, people. Is this what you're watching because you don't have Criminal Minds to Why? watch anymore? Like, oh, Criminal Minds is gone. I, I guess I'll, I'll watch these other really upsetting, creepy movies. <sighs> anyway, uh, we'll wrap it up with looking at Acquired. It is nine shows that we've seen before, led by NCIS, 837 million minutes for its 354 episodes. Uh, we do have the return of Friends and Big Bang Theory, both HBO Max content to the list after they were not here last week. So yeah, definitely definitely an oversight on someone's part to not include those. Uh, Legacies is still here. We saw that for the uh, return last week. But the one new show in fourth is Alone, credited to Netflix and Hulu, 577 million minutes for 49 episodes. This is a History Channel reality survivor type show. Uh, and it's interesting. Sure. It's interesting in that checking Netflix, only the most recent season of which there have been nine aired. The last one just recently finished airing on History Channel. The first eight are all on Hulu, but only the eighth and most recently released season is on Netflix. So that may have just shown up recently for some reason, and thus contributed to the the numbers the, the numbers here. So that's why it gets credited to both streaming services. I'm sure the majority was Netflix, but there's more of the show available on Hulu. Very very weird. I also want to <laughs> add that the Friends number of 512 million is really strong. So that's something. That is, to yeah, yeah. That that is higher than what we had seen it the weeks that had been here. Usually it was three to 400 or so, you know, you know, maybe slightly higher than Big Bang Theory. But yeah, Friends is just one of those shows definitely like 
my brother would be the type of person to throw that show on and, and watch it if he knew what HBO Max was. Yeah. The other point I wanted to make here is everything else above it on the list, except, you know, Coco Melon. We're talking about serial dramas, which means they're twice the length of Friends, which means 512 million minutes of sitcom. I mean, that that is incredible. That is, yeah, for what, 22 minute episodes. 20 minutes. Yeah. As opposed yeah. to, right, you know, 40. 44, 45 minute episodes of Grey's Anatomy and NCIS. Yeah. We would definitely prefer people to watch sitcoms rather than murder podcasts. <laughs> Doing that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, we would. And just to drive this home, looking at the numbers for Friends and the Big Bang Theory versus their numbers two weeks ago, it's clear we're not speculating that the numbers last week were just an oversight. It's clearly an oversight because Friends doesn't go from that many minutes two weeks ago to nothing on the charts last right. week to coming right back to fifth place this week. Clearly, this again speaks to the reliability of the Nielsen numbers. It's frustrating. Forevermore, the numbers that came out last week will have that asterisk on it because they obviously missed something. There's there's no way around that. Yeah. But, but again, if you look at those numbers for alone as well, this is starting to show the cracks in the system where what happens when a show has like one season on one streaming service and another season on another streaming service and the fact that they're just bundled bundling them together in these ratings just shows just how little information Nielsen really does have and what they have to go with. If you look at, say, Netflix's own proprietary ratings, they can break down seasons of a show. They can tell you uh, how many people were watching Stranger Things season one versus Stranger Things season four. But that's, of course, because it is their own data. They run the servers and Nielsen can only go off of what they're able to sniff out from the viewer side of the house. So we have to go with what we have. And a lot of it is unfortunately relatively unreliable. In fact, if you check Netflix's top 10 chart for this particular week, four of the five top 10 shows watched are the four seasons of Stranger Things. Season four, of course, dwarfs the other three in terms of numbers. It has more than the other three combined because it counts the newest episodes. But yeah, people are either finding the show for the first time or going back and rewatching the whole the whole thing. And yeah, it, it actually, it actually has all three all three seasons of Umbrella Academy on the list too. So seventy percent of this list is Umbrella Academy or Stranger Things. If you're Netflix, yeah, I heard a lot of anecdotal evidence to prove that people were going back and watching some earlier seasons. It makes sense. It had been either, I, I guess, depending on the type of show, it's either looking for, you know, hints you've missed for things mm-hmm. that they reference or just either were fresher because it had been, you know, two years since the last season of Stranger Things. Yeah, I, I, I totally get it. We saw that effect too with other shows like, you know, there's certainly pre-gaming in preparation for this the season to, to arrive. It's, yeah, go, even going back to the prior to the arrival of the new season of Stranger Things, you know, one of the seasons uh, had made the made Netflix's chart for for that week. So yeah, there's there's definitely an effect when you have a show like this that's that's a hit and and has multiple seasons, you you do get that rebound effect essentially of of people checking it out to prepare for the new seasons. And as we wrap up, I do want to point out that I did read a uh, popular Hollywood newsletter this week. whose headline was the biggest show on streaming just disappeared from Netflix and nobody noticed. We noticed. We noticed. Damn right. (laughs) Absolutely. Bye, Criminal Minds. See you on Paramount Plus, where we, we will never appear on this list again unless they decide to, to play ball. And let uh, me be clear. We're at a point where Paramount Plus should play ball because they've become a powerhouse. They should. I, I definitely think 
they they would have landed a show on the show, whether even if it is something, you know, like Criminal Minds. But, you know, there, there's enough Star Trek content out there that people are talking about and is good that I'm sure has, has people, you know, people watching. Uh, but yeah, a pretty quiet week, especially compared to the nonsense that happened last week. I don't know what we have to look forward to over the next week or two. Oh, Resident Evil men make an appearance. I think that that's what we're going to see where that lands next week. And um, it will appear. And then it looks like it will flame out quickly. Yes. It hasn't been renewed yet. And I suspect that's the reason why. And I'm kind of braced for the fact that they might not renew it because frankly, even diehard fans thought this, this was really bad. Oof. Okay. Yeah. And I, I actually am going to predict the sea beast may be the, the top movie next week. So that's all I've got. There you go. All right. Thank you, Tim. In our green lights and cancellations this week in a surprising move at Netflix, first kill the young adult drama about vampires versus vampire hunters has been canceled after only one season, only days after the series premiered. Yeah, this was a huge surprise. It has been a really, really bad week if you like LGBTQ programming just overall on streaming. And First Kill people are really, really upset because it actually demonstrably got better ratings than a different show called Heartstopper. I don't think it's fair to compare the two, but that is the argument being made. Heartstopper did get renewed. This did not. And First Kill's creator bit the hand that is no longer feeding them by coming out and saying that it was 100% on Netflix's marketing that this happened. We can say anecdotally, if you listen to the podcast, you know, we talked about First Kill I think three weeks ago, two weeks ago, something like that. Mm -hmm. It made the, the chart once. We have not seen it since, which does indicate the fact that it had a diehard audience at the start and either there wasn't a secondary audience or people just stopped watching it past a certain point. I have skimmed through about four episodes without Kim. Sorry, honey. I know that you want to watch it. It's fine. There are parts of it that are quite good. But, you know, if you go back and watch early episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, they don't really stand up either. It probably did deserve a longer look. However, whenever you're talking about a supernatural show, you're talking about more expensive production because you have to do the CGI. And with the CGI crunch right now, we're seeing those costs go up. So Mm -hmm. that might have made this one just not the type of algorithmic desire Netflix is looking for. At Amazon Prime Video, comedians Emily Heller and Megan Gailey will be starring in a single camera comedy set behind the scenes at a struggling sports show. Wasn't there already a sitcom Mm -hmm. about behind the scenes at a struggling sports show? A very good one, yes. (laughs) I miss Dan and Casey so much. Mm -hmm. We're talking about Sports Not Everyone, and it is legitimately one of this podcast's favorite shows ever. Still kind of holds up, despite being about 25 years old at this point. Sure does. Meanwhile, Jake Gyllenhaal is slated to star in a remake of Roadhouse for the streamer, also starring Conor McGregor. (laughs) (laughs) Warner Brothers Discovery is canceling everything on HBO Max, and Amazon Prime is... Let's take one of the worst action movies of the late 80s, get an A-list Hollywood star and this big name MMA fighter, and let's make this again. Sure, why not? Hulu had a busy week at the Television Critics Association, announcing a number of new projects. In addition to teasing their upcoming Fargo and Shogun seasons, a Working Girl remake was announced with Selena Gomez. Well, Selena Gomez getting paid so long as mm-hmm. so long as you're friendly to Disney, Disney's going to be friendly to you. Sure. Plus, 
working girl, that's great. But we spend a lot of time talking about casting for that one. I mean, I don't want to cast aspersions here. I've made it perfectly clear. I adore Selena Gomez, but how do you not cast Dakota Johnson for this? Seriously. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Clever. Everyone's speculating about who's playing the Harrison Ford role. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Grey's Anatomy's Ellen Pompeo is set to star in and executive produce a miniseries based on the true story that inspired the horror movie franchise Orphan. So I guess this spoils Orphan for anyone who's never seen the movie. Well, yes. But yeah, this is based on the true story of a couple that adopted an orphan from Ukraine who they then later claimed was actually an adult with dwarfism and uh, the subsequent uh, turmoil that uh, came out of that. Yeah, honestly, it's a stupid twist in that stupid movie anyway. So who cares if you spoil it? Steve Levitan is creating Reboot, a comedy about a Hollywood writer's room with a cast that includes Rachel Bloom, Judy Greer, Paul Reiser, Keegan-Michael Key, Johnny Knoxville, Krista Marie Yu, and Callum Worthy. It's somewhat reactionary about Hollywood wokeness. Paul Reiser plays the old-time Hollywood writer who's now in a writer's room with all these people of color and LGBTQ plus people, and he has to adapt to this new normal. Also, hey, how about that second coming of Paul Reiser? Good for him. Yeah, he's just been all over the place, hasn't he? And in big casting news, Hulu's Devil in the White City miniseries has found its lead. Keanu Reeves has signed on to star in this period serial killer drama. I'm saying it right now. This is Emmy bait. This is Keanu's chance to win an Emmy Award. No matter what you do, for the love of God, leave his dog alone. (laughs) (laughs) That's good advice. Okay, as always, we close out with what's been keeping us busy over the past week. And David and I started watching Sandman, and that was yesterday because it came out yesterday. It's fantastic. I think it looks so good. The special effects do not have the typical Netflix sheen. I am all in on the person that they've cast as Dream. He is really ripe for the part. They have made some changes from the original comics. However, I kind of found myself wondering if that wasn't Neil Gaiman going, God, I wish I'd done this a little bit differently or this a little bit differently. And they make sense and they work. Just watch it. It's amazing and impressive and totally unlike most of what you will see on Netflix. Raul, how about you? Yeah, about Sandman, I do want to say the original appeal of the Sandman to me and one of my favorite stories about comics is the day I walked into a comic book shop where I would go every weekend and pick up my new releases and saw Sandman number one on the shelf. And I picked it up because of that gorgeous cover it had. And I leafed through the pages and I saw that beautiful Sam Keith art and I saw that narrative and I saw how Neil Gaiman who at the time was a nobody. He was brand new on, on, on the scene, how he had woven this beautiful 
mystical story into the DC universe. And so you had all of these other DC characters that happened to be interwoven into the tale and how it actually tied into these other characters known as Sandman at the time in the DC universe. And I, I thought immediately, I need this. I need to buy this comic. And, and I was forevermore a subscriber to Sandman. And I picked up every issue from issue number one. This Sandman now, of course, leaves all of that interwoven DC universe stuff out. And and I can see how, given that Neil Gaiman is tied into this production, how he might have wanted to just, you know, excise all of that. It doesn't hurt the series at all. It is still a beautiful story. It doesn't take away at all from the narrative, the fact that some elements have changed. And David and I have talked about like how Halo is so different than the narrative of the video game and in fact, the associated novels that come with it. But for Halo, that is to its detriment and probably done largely for budget reasons, because you can see in the Halo series on Paramount Plus, how it is just cheap. It is cheap in a way that you have to make a grandiose sci-fi series, but you have to cut corners anywhere you can. Sandman isn't like that. It is still the same core while at the same time different, different and still great. And again, I said this when we announced that Sandman was coming up in the What's New podcast a couple of weeks ago, how David Zaslav should be upset that this is appearing on Netflix instead of their own streaming service. Now, at this point, I'm kind of glad that it's not showing up on HBO Max because it's just been suddenly removed. Oh, never mind. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, this series starts at the very beginning with Warner Brothers Television presents. This is a <laughs> Warner Brothers production <laughs> on Netflix. And it's what anybody is going to be talking about in streaming for weeks and weeks to come. Mm -hmm. And despite the fact that it is produced by Warner Brothers Television, it's on Netflix. And so even when Warner Brothers is producing exceptional streaming content, it's showing up on somebody else's streaming service. And that means you're doing it wrong, people. Sandman is going to be a blockbuster on streaming. And the only people who are going to benefit from this are Netflix. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll just go ahead and do the trifecta here since uh, I don't know if Tim has watched Sandman or not. Raul is saying that it's a Warner Brothers production, and that actually undersells it a bit because Sandman is set in the DC universe. It actually has DC characters in it, including one of the ones this season, John D, and another one that's kind of a hybrid, Joanna Constantine. So we're talking about something that has no reason whatsoever to be on Netflix other than the fact that <sighs> incompetence, I, I don't know what else to say. But as far as the first four episodes of this 10 episode season go, Kim and I have not been binge watching. We've moved into a house. We still have 20 boxes left. Kim is actually off Monday and Tuesday, and we hope to finally be moved into our house fully on Tuesday afternoon. That is our goal right now. So we have way behind on our television. Last night, she's laid in my arms, and we watched as much of Sandman as we could until she literally fell asleep. That is how transfixed we were by it. And like Raul, I've read all of the stories and I think that the point he made is important here. Neil Gaiman was just finding his voice during the earliest days of Sandman. And I know as a writer, a writer who is 1% 
of Neil Gaiman, if that. But I know what it's like to look back at your early work and go, oh, I do this different. I do that different. That's what he's done with Sandman. They're narrative choices you have to adjust because it's a different format. But on top of that, he has realized over the years some things he could have done better. And these get implemented in, which means we are actually seeing the best possible version of Sandman so far. And I'm in awe of it. I really am. Sorry, Tim, I skipped your turn. Go ahead. No worries. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say it. SummerSlam and the following Raw were some of the best things WWE has done in quite some time. No longer under the guidance of a out-of-touch, confused, senile, 76-year-old man who actually hates wrestling. David Zaslav? David Zaslav is the Vince McMahon of streaming. Wow. Okay. <laughs> we figured it out. Sorry, um, I didn't mean to interrupt your train of thought. Yeah. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> um, the company is clearly focused on making a coherent product that actually might be worth watching again. So I'm very excited now that Triple H is in charge of things. SummerSlam was very entertaining. It had a couple good matches. It had a guy basically drive a tractor into a ring in a spot I'd never quite seen before. And it was just a ridiculous visual because Brock Lesnar is a monster. <laughs> and then they followed it up with a, with a Raw that was three hours that didn't waste time for, for once because they have to put on a, a three-hour live program every week and it's always the same matches. It's things that are not logical. It's things that don't make any sense, but they may have a direction going forward. And I'm very excited now that they might actually be a coherent competitor to AEW who just outclasses them in terms of storytelling and whatnot. They have a widely talented roster that they've been misusing and there's signs that, that, are, that that's going to change. So I'm super excited. Also, one more shout out to a game I mentioned before, Vampire Survivors. It is the biggest uh, bang for the $3 you will ever get in terms of something that you can buy on Steam. Like, holy cow, they just keep adding stuff to it, unlockables and hidden content, and it's way deeper than it than initially seems like. It has not yet to stop being entertaining, and I'm very, very excited for something coming out next week that was pushed back from May to August, and I look forward to losing sleep and talking about it next week. Me too. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at streamingintothevoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider rating us and giving us a review in your favorite podcast player. Be sure to watch for us again next week.